That's a little taste of Count Basie. We'll get to more of the man's music as we celebrate his birth date. He was born on this day in 1904, passed away uh, at the age of 89. Very thankful uh, to be catching up with Rick Carlson, a fixture in the Twin Cities jazz scene. You can catch him pretty much every darn weekend over at uh, Maggie's Afterglow at Crooners. But he's uh, here in the daytime hours to talk about Count Basie. Rick Carlson, thank you for being here, my friend. Thanks for having me. Now, I want to ask you some questions about Count Basie, but the first one is kind of perfectly made. You have done a concert at times in your career called The Sound of Basie. What is The Sound of Basie? The Sound of Basie is, above all things, honest. Okay. Count Basie never played a dishonest note. Uh, No one can replicate what Basie's rhythm section did because we still don't know how. It was driving but supple. Mm. It could be explosive but it could whisper. Uh, someone once described it as a watch that could laugh. Okay. <laughs> I like that, a watch that can laugh. There is something uniquely powerful about Count Basie, whether he's loud or quiet. Yep. And and there's something, I just heard Pete Whitman talking a couple of weeks ago on this very station about this. I mean, it's not that his music is simple to play, but there's a simplicity in appreciating it that I I, I think is... Is not is not rare amongst jazz musicians, but a lot of times I can connect with it so viscerally. Do you have the same experience compared to other jazz you explore? Yes. Uh, one of the secrets to the bassy sound was space. Mm. A thing cannot swing unless it can breathe, and it can't breathe if it doesn't have any space. Gotcha. Both on the piano and the arrangements, bassy would uh, look at a new arrangement and he'd take out his red pen and scratch out sections, entire sections. This is out. We don't. We don't need this. This is out. This is out. Too much. Gotcha. All right. Do you think some of his ability to do space came with his wish to be a drummer? I guess he sort of grew up with Sonny Greer and sort he of did. I, I got to give same up. Town, yeah. <laughs> and he wanted to be in show business above yeah. all. Yeah. He said he didn't care if it was carrying water to the elephants. He just wanted to be in <laughs> showbiz, and he thought he'd be a drummer until he heard his buddy Sonny Greer play. <laughs> And he said, well, that was the end of that idea. (laughs) Find something else to do. Now, when we talk about Count Basie, it's very common for us to talk about Duke Ellington as well. And even when I was reading about your bio, it sounds like those were some of your first two big people when you were listening. Do you think that's just just a knee-jerk thing because they're sort of the two biggest names in big band stuff? Or do you think there's really a reason to understand them and explore them together to some extent? Uh, My reason is that they are in a way, very much alike, uh, and in a way, opposites. Okay. Um, Basie worshipped Ellington. Uh, Basie made sure that no concert did not, uh, never did he not include a Duke Ellington tune gotcha. in one of his concerts. Uh, there was an author, the author that helped Basie write his autobiography, explained it really well. He said, uh, Duke Ellington is the extension of things. Count Basie is the refinement of things. Man, you are, you're full of quotes from other people, and you're full of a clarity about this man's music. Rick Carlson, you spent your life playing piano. What does Count Basie mean to you when you sit behind the Steinway and start trying to do your thing? The first thing I think about is what not to do. Okay. Because the temptation is to play too much. And I find that it's kind of like whispering in a crowd if you do it right. The less you play, the more the people lean in to hear you. You don't want to bludgeon them. 
you want to seduce them. I gotcha. Uh, now, Kansas City, to me, always looms large in my understanding of Count Basie, but it sounds like he starts in New Jersey, gets to Harlem, gets to Kansas City, gets to Chicago, question mark, question mark, gets to Los Angeles. That's sort of the, the triptych I've got for his life. Where do you think is the most important sort of geographical location for the Count Basie sound coming to be? Kansas City. No question. No question. Big band, small band, the whole thing, a lot of it. The town was wide open. This was during, he got stranded there mm-hmm. in 23. The uh, Broadway burlesque he was playing on the road broke up. Gosh. Everybody was stranded in Kansas City. And it was a wide open town. They didn't care about prohibition. Everything was wide open. There was a big political machine, and the head of the machine said, screw everybody, we're going to drink, we're going to gamble. We're going to have ladies. We're going to have no hours restrictions on business. We're going to do what we want. It was a wide open town. And a great city to be a jazz musician. It's always great for that. I mean, they say that Vegas now is not nearly as cool a place to be as when the mob ran it. (laughs) Well, speaking of Vegas, uh, in just a minute after we touch base with Sonny Lane, we're going to listen to a recording of Count Basie at the height of his powers, an impressive time when he was also working with Frank Sinatra. We're going to hear that in a minute. I'm going to talk just a little bit more to Mr. Rick Carlson and also find out what you've been up to at Crooner's. I do got a touch base for traffic. Can you stick around for a little bit more so we can listen to some Count Basie together? Absolutely. I'm chatting with Rick Carlson, a Count Basie enthusiast who was also nice enough to bring in something from his personal collection. We're going to listen to a time when Count Basie was at the Sands in Las Vegas. Rick Carlson, you have been an out-and-out proponent of Count Basie's music and have been somebody who has played it uh, throughout your career. And you're also somebody who we can find pretty much every Friday and Saturday over at Maggie's Afterglow. That's your standing gig. You said you work with the best singers in town. For folks who haven't been by to crooners, especially that room, that moment, what is that whole scene about? That whole scene, they call it Afterglow. Mm -hmm. And we come on after the big shows are done in the main venues. And our mission is to get people to drink. Mm. Make them stop for just one more. And maybe a little nosh. And (laughs) we take the opposite tack. They've just spent 90 minutes listening to a high power energy concert where they're not allowed to talk. It's a listening policy. Maggie's is the only room in the joint where you can talk Got you. So you can enjoy the music, tune in, check it out, but then catch up, find out what's going on. This is not a show. This is not a concert. This is what used to be prevalent in the 90s and 80s. Two dozen places around town. You could stop in for a drink and hear a solo or a duo, piano and a singer. And they're kind of in the background. And the mission is to give people a choice. You can talk over us. We're not loud enough to interrupt you. But if you run out of things to say, we're interesting enough to justify you listening. <laughs> and and when you say you're working with the best singers, who have I seen? I think uh, Jennifer Grimm, Judy Donaghy, uh, not just, sorry, Judy Vinar. Um, yeah. Lot of lot of great vocalists. Who's who you've been working with lately? Uh, this last weekend, I worked with uh, Jennifer Grimm's mom, Colleen Ray. Got you. Who is a hell of a road warrior, <laughs> and she's been doing this long enough to know what she's doing. A <laughs> lot of fun because we don't prepare for this, right? You just sort of say we'll, she we'll brings it in out. a tune list and says, "How about this one? What key? B flat? Okay." This coming weekend, I'm with uh, Dorothy Doring, mm. who is another just honest, straight ahead. Swing you in a bad health. 
<laughs> well, man, it sounds like you got a dream gig on the weekends, and I appreciate you doing this on Monday. We wanted to listen to a little bit of Count Basie before we send you on your way. Uh, can you set me up for this? This is recorded at the Sands when he was also working with Frank Sinatra. This is the set before Sinatra came on. And uh, the reason I like this tune, it's a blues. Mm -hmm. Much of what Basie did was blues-based. Um, what I like about it is the, the theme is stated by muted trumpet-flute combination, which was pretty rare back then. Gotcha. It was just getting started. And it's a blues, and it swings, but it's got some unexpected, playful, little whimsical hooks in it before it flattens your hair. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to press play on this. I'm so rude I didn't even explain who I'm talking to or why we're talking about Count Basie after traffic. It's Count Basie's birthday today. Uh, he passed away, actually, excuse me, in the year 1984 at the age of 1979. Rick Carlson, a student of Count Basie's music. We're going to listen to this tune as we celebrate Count Basie's birthday. Rick, thank you so much for stopping by and visiting Jazz 88. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. 